Let's go. What up, guys? Welcome to Bingetown. This is Brian here with Luke, Kathleen, and another one of the Bingetown creators, Kyle. Just for the record, we have seven people here at Bingetown, so we're going to be introducing a couple new faces going forward. But today, we're going to be covering the first episode of the seventh and final season of the CW show, The 100, From the Ashes. So we pick up right where we left in season six with Bellamy, Echo, Gabriel, and Hope in the aftermath of losing Octavia to the anomaly. And right off the bat, stuff just starts to happen. Yeah, so one of the biggest fears of everybody's um, trailer experience for The 100 so far was the lack of Bellamy in it. And we kind of we touched on that last episode, and it was further kind of confirmed when the first scene you see Bellamy getting taken and thrown into the anomaly, you don't really see his actor's face, and that, that seems to be purposely done. Um, and it looks like more and more reports are coming out that it looks like Bob Morley, actually, who was the actor for Bellamy, actually was asking for time off, and I think it was related to mental health issues. So this could be the gap in the season where we might not see Bellamy for four or five episodes. Depends how long they want to go. It looks like the whole journey that Echo, Gabriel, and Hope are pursuing is going to be locating Bellamy, and I don't think that's going to happen next episode or maybe the episode after that, so it's going to be a while. I'm going to tell you, I loved this episode, and while I love Bellamy to death, I didn't feel the absence, really. I mean, I'm going to the more and more episodes there are that he's not in, but this trio was a trio I never thought I was going to need. They introduced Hope at the last second, Gabriel was like whatever to me last season and Echo, who I liked and who is hashtag binge crew. This is an amazing trio. Like Echo is so badass. Hope is so badass. And Gabriel, me and Luke talked about it a lot. Gabriel is kind of a non-biased character who is there to give information. He's a scientist and I think he's going to be a badass character too. Yeah, I agree with Kathleen. I would say I didn't really feel Bellamy's absence as much because I'm very interested in the three characters that they paired up basically in his absence. And I think we have to sacrifice Bellamy if it's going to give us more background on Gabriel, more background on Echo, and then a bigger role for Hope. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Yeah, I'm off the bat of the beginning of the season. I'm definitely now a new Gabriel stan. I did not think I liked him as much as I did. But after seeing this episode, the writers hooked him up with dialogue. I I felt like he made great observations. He might be the smartest person on the planet, Hold Raven, of course, but... He's been alive for hundreds of years. He know he knows everything that humanity knows about the anomaly. I just I just love Gabriel. I think he's a great character. Yeah, I never saw this trio coming, and I immediately acclimated to them. They were the storyline that I was craving all throughout the episode. Even when we met, went back to Sanctum, which is probably the most important storyline. I mean, that's following the rest of humanity. I was like, all right, what are Hope, Echo, and Gabriel getting into? So, th- yeah, I, I'm hooked. I would watch a spinoff of this show. Just these three hopping Just into the, the anomaly, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with Octavia and Dioza a little okay, sprinkled yeah, in, yeah. and once they get through, this is creating a whole new world. I mean, literally, yeah. it's a new world that we haven't been in. And while I love our actual heroes and in Sanctum, this was great. I would watch a spinoff of this. I think, th- I think that's a really good point, though, Kathleen. I guess during the course of the episode, I never realized that, but it is a nice kind of split they made between having everybody at Sanctum being really grounded in like politics and like, you know, interpersonal relations between people. And then we get Hope, Gabriel and Echo are kind of in like an interdimensional, almost like battle for their lives. That's a really good point. And we're, we're going to touch on the, a little bit about the politics that they set up in this episode, because that's going to be a lot of the foundation for the non 
anomaly stuff for the whole season. So, but for now, we're just going to front to back hit everything to do with uh, Gabriel, Echo, and Hope, and just we'll talk through their whole storyline, and we'll just move through this this episode as such. So, what we kind of learned about the anomaly is that so Octavia couldn't remember anything that was happening to her, wh- like while she was out of the anomaly, while she was in the anomaly, but. When we find Hope in the finale, she can remember. Like, Hope looks her in the eyes and says something, and Octavia remembers. It's because the anomaly was on top of them. So we learned later, Gabriel says, if the anomaly is on top of them or close, they can remember. So, like, when Octavia comes to Hope, when the anomaly is close to them, she's, like, Auntie O. Like, she knows her. She, she wants her back. Um, but before that, she couldn't remember. So that's something we learned about the anomaly as well. We also got a confirmation on the only way that you're going to remember anything when you're not when the anomaly is not actually on top of you is some sort of physical scarring, some sort of tattoo, some sort of message implanted in you. And this was double confirmed because the first time we saw Octavia do this last season, and then we saw the message in uh, Hope's arm this season saying "Trust Bellamy" with with the anomaly spiral on the back. And Gabriel points out right away that 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 this is another message very similar to what Octavia had. Who do you think wrote the note? Trust Bellamy. My money's on Dioza, personally. So she says it's her. She looks at it and says, I don't remember writing this, but I must have. And I had the same thoughts as you, okay. Tom's, where I was like, ooh, who wrote that and put that in her arm? But it, it makes sense, her saying, oh, I must have done it. She would know her own handwriting. Yeah. And, of course, it had the anomaly symbol on the back. But I had the same train of thought where I was like, ooh, who did that? Like, maybe Bellamy wrote it. Maybe Octavia wrote it. Who, who knows? But. Yeah, the time dilation makes almost anything possible in that in that situation. But so so there was not much more past in the, the first scene where we see this trio. What do we want to call this trio, guys? The um, I don't know. That is a tough question because this is going to be a, this On could be a spot. squad for half the season at least. Anomaly so. squad. We'll just say anomaly squad because it could be all five of them. You have to add Octavia and Dioza in that too. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of heavy hitters, Dan. They could kick some ass on uh, that squad. Oh my god. Yeah, uh, that's something. That, I mean, we, we love we've Echo. Known, we've known Hope. For not that long, but it's very safe to say that the apple does not fall far from the tree because she. Bellamy ass. being gone is going to be good for Echo because Echo was always playing second fiddle yep. to Bellamy's straight protagonist kind of persona. Now Echo kind of gets center stage, and she has a badass line even in the first scene before they cut to Sanctum, um, where Gabriel's just says, "You can't see him, you can't shoot him," and she says. What does she say? What she is says, her response? She says if they can, if they can shoot, they yeah. can be shot at. If, yeah. if they can shoot, they can be shot and at. She also says, like, I'm opening up a path when he tells her not to and then just starts uh. firing and just running straight mm. forward. And I was like, all right, Echo, let's go. All right, do we want to jump in? Who's attacking them? So the people of Bardo are attacking them. So Bardo is a planet without breathable air, which was a destination um, on an Allegis 3 mission. And I learned that. For, I, I don't even know. Do they say that on the episode? I learned it from Wiki. Um, but that's where the I don't think this episode yeah. they, they might have mentioned Bardo that in, in season five or six. So what we learned is the people from Bardo they're the invisible people and they can control the anomaly is what Gabriel is saying about them, which is dope. And some more information we got there was a brief scene. It was very missable, but you got to see from the perspective of the uh, Bardo Knight, whatever the person from Bardo that was that was the invisible enemy. You got to see their their interface, their tech interface that when they were looking at. Um, Hope, Echo, and uh, Gabriel, and that's where you get the information that they're from Bardo. There's a little, there's a little tag on there, and then you also see, which is very important, is that uh, Echo and Gabriel are both marked to to be captured, while Hope is marked as shot on sight. So, 
we know right away that whatever's going on on the Bardo planet, they're, they're trying to kill Hope. Yeah, and that's, all, I mean, that's really all we've learned so far, but I, I, I agree with B-Times. This is the storyline I wanted more of the entire yeah. time. I'm, I'm curious if it's the tech is so good that it can recognize who Gabriel and Echo are, or they have knowledge of those two beforehand. Too true. I th- think they have to have knowledge of them beforehand to specify that they are supposed to be captured, don't kill. Yeah. The wording was capture, don't kill, not just don't kill. I like think they want them. I think it's supposed to it's supposed to imply that this that this is where um, Dioza, the mother of hope, is actually. So so there's got to be some sort of connection where the tech the tech's not just telling them what to do with them. It's 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 based on whatever backstory we're going to get with what 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 Dioza has been doing in the anomaly for the past couple of episodes. Also, and this is just straight conjecture, they're invisible. They could have been hanging out for any number of years like just waiting and observing what's been going on Ooh. at Sanctum. So Literally they would know all these people. About that. Complete yeah. conjecture, but that's a possibility cuz yeah. they can obviously the anomaly, the anomaly has been there as long as the humans have been on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundreds of years. Yeah. They've been studying Which it for hundreds of years. Which we later hear that Russell planned all of Sanctum around the anomaly, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'll tell you one thing. I was Lexa for Halloween in 2017, and I am going to be Hope for Halloween in 2020 <laughs> because, come on. With the busted arm? Does Hope have a busted arm? She has she all the blood, a, and they open cut. The message yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you meant I like an actual arm, busted arm. I thought her yeah. arm was like really mangled, and then she like, like an beats up arm. Echo a little bit, and I was like, okay, she can use that thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, the wording I have in my notes is her arm is all sorts of janked up. So... <laughs> I think it might also be important to note um, that when you did see that little interface from the Bardo uh, invisible guy, there, there, he had the same markings on his face that Hope did. So we don't know how that's going to relate. It might not even be important, but, but that's just something to note. Oh, one last thing. We get Rowan. Got to mention that. Rowan's the OG. We love Rowan here. Um, we do and love then Rowan. also the who we talked about on the preview episode, the little friend from when Echo was young or Ash was mm-hmm. young. So Echo sees Rowan and her kind of young girlfriend, who was also named Echo, I guess. Um, Hope sees Octavia in the Toxin Vision. Octavia's quote is, you have to stay quiet. No matter what you hear, you have to stay quiet. Do you understand? Mommy and Auntie O will come back for you. And that, that led me to pose the question of why is Octavia's appearance seem like she hasn't aged more than a year or two or whatever, but... Hope herself has to be, we can assume, at least 18, right? So why is that anomaly difference so big? Well, Hope was in the anomaly that whole time Octavia just hopped back in. So Octavia was only in the anomaly for a few seconds. Her hair got longer, her arm, whatever. And then Octavia was back with everybody. But that <laughs> Octavia true. just got back How was it long enough in? for her to establish herself as anti-O and, and create herself, to portray herself as a, it looks like a caretaker of Hope? It's true. Yeah. No, that's it a good still could have been like five years so long enough for her to form childhood memories of octavia being a caregiver she leaves when she's maybe six or so that would still leave 12 15 years of hope growing up without antio sure that's what i would think just the plot hole um yeah so to end that kind of saga of the episode of anomaly squad they hold hands, go into the anomaly, and get beamed up to space. The anomaly disappears when they go in. Always Am I correct does. It, it always moves. Okay. Yeah, it, it's always, it always moves then. So that that happens. Um, Wait, actually, I do want to say that I'm hyped for Hope and Shelby Flannery. Like when 
Octavia says that Auntie O, like, be quiet thing, like, Hope's face, I felt that. I was like, they know each other. That is family. So I'm Doesn't excited that for that actress. Doesn't more to believe they have more than a six-year childhood, gap, like, overlap? I, I mean, I can't wait to find out. That's true. True, true, true. Yeah. Um, also, I thought it was cool. Echo was trying to just run right into the anomaly. Gabriel stops her and says, hold hands. If we get separated for even a few seconds, that could beam us out months apart. They're so smart. I love it. Gabriel's so smart. Yep. Gabriel's, Gabriel's so, smart. so smart. He's he's going to be a great character. I'm Gabriel. really excited to like follow. This trio is going to be awesome. Okay. But moving on, uh, the other kind of scene in this episode was the rest of the main characters at Sanctum, where, as Raven says, the place is a powder keg. There are a bunch of just dueling factions that are ready to blow up. I'll tell you one thing opening scene with Clark and Maddie and Gaia at that farmhouse is the weirdest hundred backdrop we've ever seen. I mean, you kind of get it um, when Murphy gets stuck in that house um, in season three and they're like, I can remember the scene where Clark kind of takes a shower and lays in bed and you're just like, this is bizarre, but this is even more bizarre. Them all having a picnic. It's like, this will not last long, but I'm happy for them for this one minute. Yeah. I was just going to say it might be the creator's way of saying like, Hey, like here's everybody. They're having fun. They're enjoying it. But like, just enjoy this one shot because there's no way this is going to happen again. This is again. the last time we're going to get it, right? I mean, shit, there's even a dog there. The, they are setting up this perfect like little house on the prairie scene just so they can topple it over and give these these poor characters just some more I mean, strife and anxiety and, and horrible experiences. That's the what scene, I'm envisioning. The scene didn't go perfectly, though. We had a very annoying line that I'm still rolling my eyes at is when they're all – Raven gives the cheers to, you know, like, happy binge crew, let's go, whatever. And then, of course, we get the little shade thrown by Jackson. Got to throw it on Murphy. Put the death of Abby, Clark's mother, on Murphy. I mean, Murphy saved them all by doing that, but... Definitely. I was kind of just disgusted with that. I feel like Murphy is almost used to it at this point. But he was very relieved when Clark said that she doesn't think it was his fault. I think that's a little interesting, because Murphy always has kind of been like that hard nose, like, does what he wants, wants to survive, except for Amori, but Clark telling him that it was okay and that she didn't blame it on him, like, he was visibly, like, very relieved from that. I wish that was it, but the next scene, or maybe two scenes down the line, we get the bar scene with Amori and Murphy there, and he's still noticeably depressed, he's, he's, he's upset when the, when the Sanctum Knight comes up to him, offering him a drink, like, I just don't want this to be a defining characteristic of his arc this season. I don't necessarily think that... Like, he was drinking all through season six. Murphy, Murphy's a heavy drinker is what I've gathered. But also, I don't think that he likes that he now has to play the role of Daniel Prime. That is more than Murphy signed up for, I think. He just wanted to be Murphy and immortal when he put the chip in. And now they're kind of using that role as Daniel Prime as kind of a political chip. Yeah, so before we jump into the politics, let's just see where we're at. So we see... Um, Maddie does not have the chip. We knew that, but she is pretending to be commander. So one crew thinks a certain way. Um, so we have Clark and Gaia. Indra has a huge chip on her shoulder this entire fucking episode. She is being a tyrant this entire episode. But my favorite plot point is that Clark and Gaia are going to kiss. You're wild with that one. Um, t- okay, so here's the thing. Let me just go on a little rant right here. So I read the um the script and when you read the script of the scene between uh clark and gaia after um they're talking about maddie's drawings and clark's thanking her for taking care of maddie and the 
emotional points that were written into the script are like they're trying and it's kind of a bizarre thing to add in the last season but i'm here for it and apparently a cut for time thing was guy's character was supposed to have um a lesbian storyline in a previous season but it got cut for time oh, that changes my perspective a little it would, yeah i did not know that yeah. it would be a logical one because they're both like they could be two parents to maddie so like that could be like a little oh, family. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. They are both like obvious caretaker roles to Maddie. Okay, question for you then. Do you think Indra would approve of this relationship? Oh my God. I have no idea. But I'll tell you like, <laughs> Indra was a tyrant this episode. It's because people like Kane and Octavia soften her. That's her like real people she softens up to. But without them, I feel like even her own daughter does not soften her up. So, yeah. I don't also, know. She kind of like, I feel like she was felt like she was giving advice to Clark on how to act. So, like, she sees herself as, like, not subservient to Clark, but, like, recognizes that Clark makes the big decisions. So I think that – I don't think she would be completely against her and Gaia, Clark and Gaia, that is, being in a relationship like that because she obviously sees something in Clark that lends her – Yeah, to trust her as a leader, yeah. So something else I wanted to touch on, uh, I think it was – Indra brought it up. Now that Maddie doesn't have the flame, there is no commander. And they are still essentially operating as though Maddie was the commander. And they're still trying to lead one crew to believe that. But there is no commander. And they're trying to keep that under wraps. I'm not sure how sustainable that is in the long term. And once one crew finds out that there's no official commander, um, Indra's afraid that that could split and one crew up. Do you think it's going to be because of Shade Hada? Could be. Well, Maddie's still drawing memories that are not her. So is that just old memories from when she had the chip? Is there something still lurking inside of her? And I guess that's something we're going to find out. But speaking of Maddie, I wanted to talk about the interaction between Maddie and Clark while Maddie is upset with Clark for being late. But then Clark is obviously reeling from Abby's death but not dealing with it by any means. And that weird interaction where Clark thought she was talking about losing that maddie was losing clark but it's like how have how did clark not know that maddie's mom died in her arms like literally what did you talk about for six years just you two on the on the island or whatever (laughs) but it was like i and luke brought up a good point like maddie did think she lost clark when she was josephine so i i did kind of overlook that but clark needs to deal with the abby stuff she can't just like maybe maddie needed to be comforted in that moment it's like yeah my mom died in my arms want to hug me maybe Mom? Stepmom? Clark? <laughs> I don't know. How, w- how would you deal with it if you, were, if you were Clark? Who do you go to for that support? But, I mean, Maddie was reaching out. I mean, yeah, you don't want to... She sees her as her daughter, though. Does she really see her as somebody that she can show that side of weakness to? Totally agree. But, again, I think that that was a moment that she should have been comforting Maddie as well. And that was the thing. Well, when Maddie walked away, she kind of looked back at Gaia and Indra for uh, how did that go? Did you guys think? And Indra was just like, I thought it went pretty well. And I think Gaia did, too. And then they went off on their own little thing that just turned into the love story. You mean the love story? Yeah, the (laughs) love story. Exactly. Before we move on to the next topic, the next scene, I just want to give a quick shout out to our boy Miller. Um, it's this was kind of sort of a subtle piece of writing that the that the writers decided to do, and what I noticed right away was when Miller is just casually giving um, orders around to all of one crew's bodyguards, it kind of just cements the fact that his whole character arc throughout these last seven seasons just went full circle to where he finally is in the same exact spot that his dad was. His dad played a role 
on the arc of the um, you know back back before season one even started. His dad was actually the the, the leader of the guard on the arc. So it's kind of cool to see Miller just you know completing that whole journey of these seven seasons to get to this point. But I also want to say that this is a f- this is kind of pointing to that he might be a good death for this final Ooh. season because yeah, he kind of has hurt. completed all of his goals. Like he's a great character. We have attachment. Yeah, we have he's time found with love. him. This would be the perfect time to get a good death out of him. Not that I want that because I fucking love Miller. But <laughs> you know, I would I would be okay with this as a as a way to just kind of emphasize the importance that we're in the final season. You know, Miller could go at any time, and that would be a great character decision. Him or Jackson, I could see either one yeah. of them going. I'm in favor of Jackson yeah. dying and then yeah, like that being Miller. Miller's like being sad about that because I don't want to lose Miller. That's why it would be sadder if yeah, it was Miller. Stop. Nobody cares about Jack. <laughs> they have to keep Jackson because he's the doctor now. No Abby. You oh, keep that's that's what I was going to say. Point. Miller's a little bit more expendable just from yeah. what he does for the group. Exactly. Did you see him nod one time and there's people knew the orders immediately, though? <laughs> that guy has his boys whipped into shape. He is the guy. Now. Yeah, he is. He's the good guy. at what he does. I'll give him that. I mean, yeah, no, but like this is a good transition because he kind of like looked we're going to get into the children of Gabriel versus the Allegis criminals versus sanctum, the three kind of political parties going on. And I liked the part where Miller looked at Nelson and was just like, Nelson, you know, that's not true. Like I, I was like, baller. that's a good line for yeah, Miller. Baller. Nelson's Nelson, a beast too. Yeah, Nelson is just for you guys that don't know. They only say it once or twice. Nelson is going to be our face, our liaison for the children of Gabriel. He's the guy who had the most lines from, from their perspective. Um, and he's just going to be who we're dealing with for the most part. I think Shadehead is going to kill him. Okay, speaking of Nelson and the children of Gabriel, I wanted to get kind of into the class system. So Nelson mentioned that he was thrown out by the Primes um, and he didn't even know his parents. So there's three kind of classes in Sanctum. There's the um, top class, which is someone like Delilah who has the blood and then can turn into a Prime. Then there are the, the middle class is the carriers. So they can have good jobs. They have the gene, but not the blood. So both parents must have the gene to be able to m- have a baby with quote-unquote royal blood. So the carriers are still worth something to the primes, which is so fucked up. And then the bottom class is the null. So they don't carry the gene, meaning they can muddy the bloodline, which is why Josephine created oblation, which means they just fucking give the babies to the forest, (laughs) which is insane, which are the children of Gabriel, literally. So that, that gives a lot of reason for Nelson and his crew to absolutely hate the primes. Um, And the writers did another great thing with him. They gave him a line of dialogue. That, that basically went in to say, when he was threatening to say that if Russell doesn't die by their hands, then they're going to go ahead and kill Daniel and Kaylee, referring to Amori and Murphy. Um, and then as soon as they said, as soon as Nelson said that, they kind of just chirped back saying, like, you know they're not the real primes. And then Nelson's response to that was saying, like, you're right, you're right. We don't really care. Do what you want. If you want to use them to control the sheep, then go ahead. Which to me says a lot about what the children of Gabriel's actual mindset is. They're not just trying to fuck with society to fuck with society. They actually care about killing the primes. And the fact that they know Murphy and Amori are not primes and they don't want to kill them. I just think that that adds another dimension to them and makes them kind of, kind of better written characters. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Definitely. Well, the people in sanctum are just followers of faith. So they just kind of blindly believe that. And they're not necessarily educated about what's going on what that says about the children of gabriel is that they are and they're rationally thinking this out they're not just this bloodthirsty like terrorist group that's that's just out for blood yes they're educated and they have logical targets yeah i mean that's just a nice compliment to gabriel himself 
I mean, Absolutely. the way yeah, the way that he thinks, the way that he believes, the the things that he enjoys. I mean, it really comes out in like the people that follow him compared to the people that follow the primes. It's a pretty pretty stark difference. So, okay, so we have the Children of Gabriel, which are again led by Nelson, and then next up we have the Sanctumites, which is going to be led by Trey. And everyone fucking hates Trey. Trey's a little bitch. All him my homies hate Trey. Yeah, him, yeah. And, him and Jordan are just like they ugh, they just kind of disgust me a little bit, but <laughs> truly. He's and going yeah, he's going to be the absolute face of of Sanctum. Yeah, so Jordan's in this weird kind of middle ground where he's with uh hashtag binge crew or one crew, but he's also lingering around the Sanctumites. It's like a weird position he's taking. It is, and I think that Clark and her group are going to try and take advantage of his allegiance to them to control the Sanctumites, but at the same time, I don't think, I'm not convinced that Jordan... His allegiance, I, I can't get a read on him, whether he is more committed to Clark and, you know, our heroes or the Sanctumites. So I don't know if they're going to be able to take advantage and manipulate him to control the Sanctumites. Yeah, I thought coming into this season, not I thought that Jordan was going to just be completely anti-One Crew and was going to say, like, he sees, like, all the, the corrupt morality of the group and he was just going to just side with, the, with Trey and the Sanctum and the people of Sanctum. But it's good to see that at least Jordan... Still has some some Monty and Harper instilled to him, and he still he still is not going to be an enemy to One Crew. So he's not going to be he's going to be a prick, a thorn in the side. But I don't think he's going to actually he's not going to be like an antagonist. We might have mentioned in the in the previous. Well, episode. you are One Crew, or you are an enemy of One Crew. So Ain't that the truth? I don't know, man. But what I do want to go over is the scene in the shrine where we have three of our main factions. The Children of Gabriel, the Sanctumites, and the criminals that were just recently woken up from cryo sleep. Um, so right when we get in, there's a knife being held to Jordan's neck. The Sanctumites are trying to defend Jordan. The knife is being held by two, what we assume to be the leaders of the criminal groups. They're married. It's a guy and a girl. Um, immediately, the Children of Gabriel being led by Nelson come into the room with guns and kind of throw water on the situation and say the children of Gabriel control this unholy shrine what is everybody else doing in here then we get the fourth group to arrive is Clark and company who essentially says and I quote when we woke you to clear the ground for our compound you agreed to stay in tents the shrine is off limits this is her speaking to the criminals she adds, that goes for the children of Gabriel, too. So what we learn is that the criminals, there's 36 of them, which Indra told us earlier in the episode, they were woken from cryosleep to help uh, the whole group just build this compound, and they're obviously going to be causing trouble. The children of Gabriel are already breaking the rules the rules that were established, that they're not allowed to touch the shrine or the palace. So all of the factions kind of leave the shrine. That situation dies out. But before they leave, the criminals say, if we're going to be doing the work to build this compound, we're going to hold you to the meaning of our compound. And by compound, do they mean the palace? Like, are they working on the palace? Like, what? No. I would say it's a brand new one, right? No, I don't think it means the palace. I think it yeah. means just basically the entire living space that, that the Sanctumites were living on before the Earth yeah. One crew even got there. Because I was going to say, Clark ruined that real yeah, quick no, by the end yeah. of the episode. Yeah, I, I took it as, I don't think that One Crew wants to come in and take over the original Sanctum. I think they want to almost build their own Sanctum, right? And it's got to be bigger, too, because they're, yeah. they're holding all of the Sanctumites, plus the criminals, yeah. 
plus the children of Gabriel. So that's that's the reason that they yeah. absolutely needed the manpower woken up from cryo. Yeah. And do, do we know how many children of Gabriel there are? Is there any reference at like, I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. Do we think it's going to be more than the like is is Who's more threatening? Is it the children of Gabriel or the criminals? I know the criminals are going to have worse morality, and they're going to be willing to do worse things. Where do we know? Uh, the children yeah, of right. Gabriel, I think, are a more menacing group, at least in terms of numbers and beliefs. They have more passion. Yeah, that's a yeah. really good point. We're the smarter, criminals are kind of just – I mean, they, they kind of said it there. Like, they were just looking for a place to lay their head. But the children yeah. of Gabriel are there. They're out for revenge. They well, have they a vendetta just, They were just people. there pissing around, it seems like, trying to stir the pot. Yeah, we're just looking for a place to lay down yeah. our heads, they said. Like, mm-hmm. they know yeah. they're kind of, like, swinging their cocks yeah. all over the place, just trying to piss people That off. guy was very cheeky. He was very cheeky. That yeah, guy. I think he's smart, though. I think him and his wife are going to be good characters. Um, so another thing I think we should definitely talk about is the, uh, the scene with Russell and Jordan how Jordan uh, was sent in there to kind of confirm that he's okay, and they have a pretty interesting discussion. Yeah, so I didn't see this coming. Russell seems to have just given up on his own life. He He's not suicidal, but he's saying, yeah, they're feeding me. They're taking better care of me than I deserve, but what I need is death right now. And it's understandable, that viewpoint for him. He's lost his entire family. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to get back that God status. I mean, he was essentially... He was a god to his people, like president of this little sanctum community. And, yeah, I can understand where he's coming from. I, I was definitely a little surprised with how they, how they took Russell's character based on how last season ended. I thought he was going to come out being as vengeful as it gets. I thought he was going to say burn the world down to the ground. But, but the fact that the writers decided to take it a completely different way, like I don't think anyone predicted this. I didn't see this anywhere. So I think, I think this is good writing again, and I, I'm excited to see – what they kind of do with Shidheda, who we're going to touch on that in a little bit, but just getting back to, to, to Russell and, and Jordan, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, that dynamic was, was something we kind of talked about last episode, but we predicted the complete opposite um, sort of energy. We thought it was going to be Russell that was going to be doing the convincing and persuasion of, of Jordan to try and help him get out. But instead Jordan was just kind of acting as a liaison for, sanctum there and just trying to just i don't know what, what, do, what do you guys think where yeah. are we going with this i mean riffing off the point of good writing a little bit i just really think that jordan himself as a character is a great chess piece for the writers because he has so many interesting interactions with almost every single political faction that we have so him moving scene to scene person to person that he can get into really really interesting conversations with a lot of the characters yeah i agree but it, they took it in a really weird it's like jumping into the final scene like, basically, there is no Russell Prime anymore. It's just Shane Hayda. So while we're saying, where is this going? It's kind of like, I don't know. But that dives me into the mind space. So when Clark and Josephine were in the mind space, Josephine could die a million times. So when Shane Hayda takes fucking Russell Prime and slits his throat, the OG Russell Prime, which I have, like, problematic. Okay, here, another tangent. So Are you into OG Russell Prime? So No, well, maybe. But I am. So, <laughs> so OG Russell Prime is from our favorite show, The Magicians. Um, I don't know if you're caught up, Kyle, or whatever. Oh, but no. So when, when um, Josephine is in Clark's mind space Rus- last season, Russell Prime comes in, and it's the Russell Prime we know in that body. But 
in this season, when they go into the mind space, it's the OG Russell Prime, and it's the OG Josephine from last season. So technically, last season, they should have done the OG Russell Prime yeah. in the mind space. It's just a little, like, Do you think it's a mistake or a hint? I think it's a mistake. It's definitely a mistake, but they did they did at least go to the length of this episode where they put OG Russell Prime's face on a painting in the, in the palace again to at least, you know, remind everyone that they – while they might not have thought too deeply into this, like that actor was going to, they wanted to bring that actor back and put him in the scene again. So this is kind of a confusing tangent, but I guess my, the moral of the story is when Shade Hayda slits Russell's throat, is that the end of Russell Prime? Is he dead? I just hate Shade Hayda so much. I, that th- I, I know, me not. too. <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's the end of Russell, but it's definitely the start of Shade Hayda. I don't think Russell's going to be able to get that body back from Shade Hayda because I think they're setting it up for Shade Hayda in Russell's body to be the main antagonist. Uh, Do you think that's gonna that's gonna be a higher level threat than would ever than the Bardo than the people of Bardo? No, but it's gonna be a threat. It's gonna be yeah. a sure. tier two threat. Right? I like could see Shade Hayda. Shade Hayda has a better claim to the commander spot than anybody else right now, I would Ooh. say. Oh, wow, yeah. Because he does have a chip. It's not the flame, but one crew probably wouldn't even know the difference. This Do is we my think hopes. they would follow him, though? Just because of the chip? Once they find out Maddie does not have the flame in her neck, oh, they are going yeah. to be looking for the next. Yeah. Shade Hedda is almost basically thing. the light to Raven's powder keg because now he is Russell Prime. And that's what I'm saying. I have in my notes here like, oh, Shade Hedda is now in Russell Lightborn's body. Yeah, we have our antagonist. Like that. That's what it, a, an antagonist, not mm-hmm. to mention all the Bardo stuff. But like we, I said, once they find out Maddie doesn't have the flame, that's going to be an issue. Here's my hope. Shade Hayda is the White Walker equivalent. It only takes three episodes to get Shade oh Hayda the God. fuck out of here. And yeah. then we deal with the anomaly, which is the rest of the Game of Thrones season eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's I just feel like the end of season six with Shade Hayda, for me personally, was just like, it was very confusing. He was just like, is like data that can just like yeah. hop around machines now. It just is like, uh, for me, it's very odd. Okay, well, there was a line that, that was important from Russell, and he said this, I think, in the, in the 13th episode of last season. Is that the finale? I think yeah. it was 13 episodes. Yes. Yeah. So it was in the finale. What um, Russell ends up saying is that the mind drives can be accessed remotely from the ship. So that, that was kind of the writer's way of just leaving the door open for Shade Hayda's code to actually get out there. And then Raven also has a line earlier in the episode where she mentions that she doesn't seem too short herself that Shade Hayda is gone. So again, they kind of they knew they were going to take it this way. So yeah, I guess yeah. After this conversation, I guess I'm a little less against Shade Hayda because, like B. Tom had said, he is kind of a definitely prime candidate for a main antagonist. And if it's going to give us a lot of good Raven stuff, then I'm okay with Shade Hayda at that point. That gives us hope, though. If Shade Hayda can survive, I think you got to take into account that the other commanders can too and we like one of the commanders at least oh boy do we and that's <laughs> oh boy do we um but yeah so the main points of that jordan and russell meeting in the prison uh jordan gives russell priya's mind chip russell destroys the mind chip and they kind of have this ambiguous conversation about how jordan saw the anomaly while he was being adjusted in the prior season but all things considered, we can assume that Jordan goes back and tells the Sanctumites that Russell is still alive, being treated for well. I think he would probably leave out the part where he wants to die, but yes. 
so moving on, the next time we see Russell is actually in once they move him from the prison cell to the palace. Uh, in between, there's a weird part where Murphy and Amori do assume the role of Daniel and Kaylee Prime and kind of tell the Sanctumites to move and allow them to safely transport Russell into the palace. And the next time we see Russell is in the palace when Clark goes to visit. Yeah, that's a badass Clark moment. She, her screaming afterwards is so epic. You need to give Eliza Claire or Eliza Clark, Eliza Clark Taylor. Fuck, <laughs> Eliza, just keep it, Eliza yeah. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> keep that okay. shit. Um, you got to give Eliza Taylor some sort of screaming epic moment because she didn't really have any moments where I was wowed by her until yeah. that last scene. Well, also, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, that's a great Amori moment as well. Amori doing a little research into the journal and cutting the quote, and they were all like, oh, right away they heard it, and they were like, okay, she's the real deal. Murphy's and then like, Murphy, you are yeah. so hot right now. <laughs> but I think that was the point, right? So Clark Clark is, starts off the season. She, we don't see any sort of mourning for Abby. We get a couple of written dialogue talking about it, and she's kind of moved on. She's saying to everyone else that she's moved on. And what you're just getting the appearance of is Clark throughout the whole episode, calm, 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 calm. She's moving on. She's, she's ready to go. She's, she's going to be the leader of Sanctum. And then fucking explosion yeah. Daenerys Targaryen style. Yeah. They got so me, dope. if I'm honest. I mean, I didn't – for the whole episode, it was kind of like, okay, Clark's chilling, whatever. And then she blows up. And I was thinking, like, that was so random until Kathleen had said earlier, talking about Maddie, where it was like that was a perfect opportunity for Clark to kind of let out her emotions. And I had never really – watching the episode, I didn't think of that, but that was such a good point. And I then she it. kind of just blows up, yeah, at the yeah, end. Yeah, her dad's ring just triggered her. Well, it's the ring and then Abby's clothes, so it's yeah. it's kind of that whole thing. And she just absolutely manhandles Russell and beats the yeah. snot out of him. Juan head is back. Juan <laughs> Hayda. It does. Oh, seem she never left, I guess. <laughs> Those were Juan Hayda vibes, but yes, I believe she knocks Russell unconscious, which is when we get into the mind space of Russell and Shade Hayda takes over. So, the girls of the 100 can kick ass. Yeah, they really, all of them can. Literally all of all them. Of them. Even Maddie is arguably the best fighter in the show. Have we seen anybody better than her in man-to-man? Con- she won the conclave. Yeah. Ooh, yeah she she was being smart in the conclave too. But. Yeah. Eat little one-on-one. I mean, you don't got to convince me. <laughs> Another quick, quick, just one-liner off of that. I cannot get enough of when they're showing the night blood just bleeding black, whether it's like, yeah, anyway, I love that. It's so cool. So we're left with Shade Hata, and that's going to be Raven's storyline. And we kind of talked before this and how we went through this entire episode and barely talked about Raven, even though she did get some good FaceTime. But she cooked. that's going to be her. <laughs> Go ahead, Kyle. She did cook. I mean, who cooked the stew and what was in the stew? There was a lot of it. They all ate it. They all seemed yeah, well Yeah, so fed. Raven's big storyline <laughs> is that she can make stew and she'll get rid of Shade Hayda at some point. So to end the episode, uh, Clark, while she's beating up Russell, starts a fire and then she kind of drags him out at gunpoint, allows the palace to burn down and says something to the effect of, pretty much addressing all of Sanctum from the balcony. We're the last of the human race. We've all made mistakes. And tomorrow, Russell Prime dies for his. So bad. So that's yeah, where go. we end. And earlier in the episode, she was pretty against killing Russell. So this is just her losing control. And now she kind of has to stick to her words at this point. She made a sweeping declaration saying that Russell's going to die tomorrow. I loved it. I thought it was yeah. so great. Well, now it's how does Shade Hata 
wriggle out of that? I mean, who is he going to either trick, yeah. you know, convince onto his side that allows him to get out of that? Because there's no way that Shade just hangs in episode two and that's the end of him. There, I was going to say, but I'm saying that now this turns Sanctum on. It tur- it's going to turn Sanctum. Jordan, Raven's not going to like it. Raven doesn't like killing just to kill. She doesn't like acting yeah. like God. Like this yeah. is going to turn a lot of Her people Her and Clark were Clark. actually okay this episode. I know. One, we got one good episode of yeah, this kind yeah, of friendship. Yeah, they were cool for a little bit. I think there's there's a chance that Russell, or sorry, Shade Hayda is going to be, he's going to take the approach of just fully acting as Russell and just rallying up his his base of Sanctumites and just playing yeah. full prime, trying to just get them to help break him out. And then when he gets past that point, it's just going to be, he's just going to be the n- other power figure that's going to be fighting. That's going to be the, the antagonist to Clark. Yeah. What does it, can he freely move? Or does it take something like an external action like Raven did to Shade move Hada. him from other places? Yeah. Well, he could be jumping to other people. If that's yeah. Other so he's pretty much stuck in Russell until an external factor may sure push him out. Because I, how did he get from the spaceship down to Russell Prime in the first place? I think he's backed up in the, the ship's hard drive. Yeah, I think now like that, that. The, that the OG chip, what's that called? I can't even think of it. The... The, drive? the no the, oh, the what they put in it's out well it's out oh the the, the flame the flame yeah now that the flame is dead I think maybe it can hop yeah that would be crazy I don't think they're gonna have him hop I think yeah. he's gonna that's use like Russell almost Prime for the yeah rest I don't like that he could literally be in a Maury or Murphy in no. at some point oh this season because they're yeah. the only other ones with the mind drive yeah that's a good point definitely I don't know but um a Maury so please not Murphy I think wraps up covering all of the episode i think it's about time for bang kill mary volume two okay so i have a um different way we're gonna play this today so we're gonna do mary fuck kill through clark's eyes so this isn't us this is through clark's eyes and the three choices are um bellamy gaia and nyla you're a whack with this Gaia stuff (laughs) clark already banged nyla it was awesome yeah but will she again Who's to say? You That's are. True. In the words of uh, ASAP Ferg, if you fucked her once, you could fuck her twice. <laughs> okay, so who Lovely. is Clark marrying, fucking, and killing? <laughs> I would marry Bellamy because Bellamy's Bellamy's great. I touched on it in the last episode. He's kind of become that that guy that everybody likes, everybody looks to. He's knowledgeable. He's like strong. He's a good leader. So I would marry him. And I also think they're a cute couple. I mean, come on. He's a Bellark shipper. They got, they got a good uh, tip for tat here. Let's be honest. I just think that Clark is, she's not going to betray Echo. So for that reason alone, I think she's going to be, she's going to be killing Bellamy. Oh, she's going to be marrying Nyla because that's the what? only person in this, in this group that she's had a true emotional sexual relationship with i think that it's it's safe to say that she she would might she might be leaning towards marrying nyla and then banging gaia as a consolation prize oh you know what i take it back Ooh, okay. would indra accept her daughter as a consolation prize <laughs> <laughs> i take it back clark should marry gaia so they can be kind of the two parental figures to maddie that makes a lot of sense to me uh, she should bang Bellamy again because she's already gone the uh, you know the girl on girl route, and then she can kill Nyla. Already hit it, has been whatever. <laughs> yeah, see, see, Luke, I agree. That, I mean, they've obviously banged before, but I, I, I don't think that they have anything there. I don't. So no just because they banged, I mean, Clark was kind of using the shit out of Nyla when yeah. she was one hated with the red hair. Um, but I'm gonna say 
she's killing Nyla, even though I love Jessica Harmon, um, her actor in real life, and she's Murphy's brother in real life. You didn't know no that. No way. Yeah. Wow. Si- yeah, sister. Sorry. Um, I'm going to have her marrying Bellamy and fucking Gaia. No way. But oh I'm going to tell you that there's no way that Bellamy and Clark can work out, especially if Bob Morley is not in a, a chunk of the season. They cannot, unless they do a time jump, Echo s- sacrifices herself, there's time in between. There's no way that there's going to be a betrayal of Echo, just like you Do you said. think they throw out, what would it be, four seasons of Clark with female consensual relationships to go back to a a male relationship in the last season. Well, that's kind of like a great thing about the hundred is there is no, there's not even a single mention of oh Clark's with a girl, oh ah, Clark's a with point. a guy. Like that is yeah, not even a, good a point. thing. A hundred years in the season yeah. in, in the future, which is fucking amazing. I mean, I'm down with a little bit of a fourth wall break where Clark ends up marrying her real life husband. I know, right? Yeah. yeah that would okay. Be really cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go with that. I like that. So she can <laughs> marry Bellamy. Uh, mm. Okay, I, I don't think there's any way she could get away with killing Gaia, so she can bang Gaia, and then she'll kill Nyla. Yeah. Damn. Awesome. So that concludes Bang, Kill, Mary and the podcast episode. We're going to be following Season 7 of The 100 Weekly with a podcast after every episode. Next up is Episode 2 titled The Garden. If you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Spotify, and the Apple Podcast app. Once again, we are Bingetown TV, and thanks for listening.